Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first lesson is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measures of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I read the New Testament lesson from Matthew, I would like to thank Katie Ellen, our Christian educator, for assisting me in worship this morning. Our New Testament lesson is from Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning at the 13th verse. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples, not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many years ago now, when I still had children at home, my kids and their friends invited me to go to a movie with them. Ken was out of town, and what mom, in her right mind, turns down an invitation from a group of teenagers? After all, didn't this mean I was the cool mom? So we went to see the 2006 hit, not so much, movie called Talladega Nights, the story of Ricky Bobby. Yes, this was, and still is, probably the worst movie I have ever seen. However, Will Ferrell, who plays Ricky Bobby, was pretty hilarious. 
My favorite part of the movie is when Ricky Bobby, played by Will Ferrell, is at the dinner table and about to offer the prayer before the meal. He begins, Dear Baby Jesus, and he prays for a while, speaking often to Baby Jesus. And this finally gets on his wife's nerves, and so she interrupts him, asking him, why does he always pray to the baby Jesus? What happened to the grown-up Jesus? Ricky Bobby goes on a bit of a tirade, saying that you can pray to the baby Jesus, or the teenage Jesus, or the bearded Jesus, or the adult Jesus, or any Jesus you want to pray to, but he likes baby Jesus, and since it's his turn to pray, he's praying to baby Jesus. And so he begins his prayer again. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus in the golden diaper. Even as we laugh out loud at that kind of prayer, we are faced with the question of who Jesus is for us. What is our favorite part of Jesus? What does Jesus mean to us or for us? Do we think of baby Jesus in the manger? Is that our favorite part? Or do we call to mind the suffering Jesus on the cross? Is it the resurrected Jesus that has the most meaning for us? Or perhaps it's the miracle-working Jesus. In my first year of seminary, I had to write a five-page paper on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, it took me a little while to decipher that assignment. Up to that point, my confession of faith or my statement about the person and work of Jesus would have been, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. After all, that's what I learned right here in this church in eighth grade. Perhaps that is the same answer going through many of your heads right now. What does that answer mean to you, though? Is that simple confession of faith enough in today's complex and multidimensional world where Christianity is no longer the primary religion? In Matthew's Gospel today, we have Jesus asking his disciples who people think he is. What are people saying about the Son of Man? And the disciples give him the variety of answers that they have heard murmuring in the crowds. John the Baptist, a prophet like Elijah or Jeremiah. And then Jesus puts them all on the spot. Who do you say that I am? I'm guessing that if it wasn't for Simon Peter, there would have been a thundering silence. Jesus looking you in the eye and asking you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, however, as we know from other stories, is never at a loss for words, and he responds without missing a beat, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And with that straightforward confession, several church doctrines are set in motion that remain in motion even today. 
The first thing that happens is that Jesus recognizes that Peter's confession of faith is not based on Peter's own intellectual understanding or Peter's own mindfulness about what Jesus is doing or how, what he has seen from Jesus as he follows Jesus. Rather, Peter's ability to say to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, is a gift. It's a revelation placed in Peter's heart by God. Now, what does this mean for our own confessions of faith? Over the centuries, the church around the world has tried to establish its authority with a lot of external means. For example, the doctrine of apostolic succession in the Roman Catholic Church comes in part from this confession by Peter. It's believed that all the bishops descend directly from the apostles. And in fact, it's thought that Peter was the first church bishop. This is what gives bishops and priests correct understanding and credibility and the ability to teach their people. The doctrine, this is the doctrine that keeps women from being ordained to the priesthood. Because after all, we must come through the lineage of the men. We have written creeds and confessions galore to try to define a right understanding of God. Yet Jesus reminds us in this passage that neither he nor God can be boxed in. They cannot be defined by human beings. We cannot prove the existence of God through theology, through a five-page paper on the person and work of Jesus. We cannot prove the existence of God by logic or metaphysics or even science, no matter how hard we try. We tend now in the established church to root the authority of ministers in seminary education and ordination, a special calling, if you will. But in this text, Jesus reminds Peter and us that the ability to confess Jesus as Lord, the ability to know Jesus, the ability to follow Jesus, comes as a gift from God. It is not an algebra problem that we can solve or a geometry proof. The ability to confess Jesus as the Messiah comes straight from God. We experience the understanding of who Jesus is in both our head and our heart. The confession that we make as to who Jesus is depends on this gift from God, a heart strangely warmed, as John Wesley would say. While it is important to study scripture and deepen our understanding of Jesus and what Jesus means in our lives, our confession of faith is only partly based 
on human understanding. The rest is a gift of faith. The second thing that happens is that Simon Peter suddenly becomes simply Peter, the rock, Petra. Without warning, Peter is now the foundation upon which Jesus will build the church. Here we have the linchpin that connects the testimony of Peter to the work of Jesus and the reality of our church even today. It is here that Jesus creates the church as the epicenter of God's answer to our prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The church is based on the testimony of Peter as to who Jesus is. It grows through the ages and remains as evidence of God's kingdom coming to earth. Remember now that Matthew writes well after Jesus has died and risen. He is writing in the midst of a first century church. There are stories of Jesus' crucifixion, there are stories of his resurrection and his ascension, and the question most pressing on the current disciples is how will the work of Jesus continue? What will happen now that the religious institutions of the day, the Jewish leadership, has rejected Jesus as Messiah? Matthew is trying to answer these questions for the early church, and he puts a lot of emphasis on Peter's confession for this answer. That confession, you are the Messiah, ties the kingdom of God to the ongoing work of the church, even now. There is also an implicit promise in connecting the establishment of the church to Peter's confession. This promise is that a church established by Jesus will never fail or falter. It can never be taken down by human powers and principalities. Yes, churches are declining in 2020. But I am a firm believer in the fact that the church will never disappear. It needs to change and grow and adapt, but it is founded in Jesus Christ. It is based on the work of God in the world. And we give the living testimony to that work today. We come back then to our own answer to the question, who do you say that Jesus is? Is it enough to simply confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior? I know this is a risk that I'm taking right now, but I want to suggest that while that confession is significant and important in a life of faith, it is not enough. Look again at Peter's confession. 
Peter's answer is that Jesus is the Messiah. The word Messiah, as Alex has taught us many times, means anointed one. Peter is confessing that Jesus is God's anointed one, appointed, so to speak, to do God's work in the world. Peter also says that Jesus is the Son of God, which is Peter's way of describing Jesus' close relationship with God. In other words, Jesus is one whose actions are perfectly aligned with God. The doctrine of Jesus being fully human, fully divine, is not found right here in Peter's confession. It is a doctrine that the church developed throughout the ages. Our standard answers that speak of Jesus as fully human and fully divine, or that speak of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, are good and right answers. But again, they are not enough. We have become so binary in our thinking, so one or the other, black or white, right or wrong, that we forget that scripture repeatedly tells us that God's ways are unsearchable. We're not going to be able to pin God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit down into one neat little package. God just doesn't want to work that way. As humans, we cannot have all the right words and answers on this side of heaven for that question, who do you say that I am? Jesus will not be boxed in by our definitions, no matter how orthodox the answers are or how soundly they conform to church doctrine. The ability to know and understand who Jesus is comes as a gift from God. And this gift comes in different forms to different people. Over the years, I have come to understand that God reveals God's own self to different people in different ways, and in each new revelation that I am exposed to, I gain a deeper understanding to the question of who I say Jesus is. Many people, both within the church and outside of the church, think very highly of the work of Jesus. Even today, we struggle with the best way to understand and express our theology of what my professor called the person and work of Jesus. The Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, two of the earliest creeds, date back to 325 AD. They were written 300 years after Jesus walked this earth, and they are based on human understanding of what the church can be or should be. They are based on scripture, they are based on Peter's confession, and they are based on a lot of other things that are spoken of in scripture, and they are also based on the best understanding that church leaders had of Jesus in that time and place. Peter confessed that he knew Jesus to be the Messiah the Son of God, 
And that was enough for Jesus. And it is enough for us. Hear this, though. It was a beginning. It was a starting place. Confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior or as the Messiah is not a riddle to be solved by an intellect, or a, nor is it a moral capacity for believing evidence that is contrary to reason. It is a gift, a gift, pure and simple. This gift is not grounds for boasting or for criticizing the faith of others. Instead, it is a gift into which we are encouraged to live. That's right, live. It's not just about the words we say. Ricky Bobby could pray to dear baby Jesus. The question was, how did he live out whatever his faith may have been? Peter, who boldly confesses Jesus as Messiah and Son of God in these verses, just seven verses later, still in chapter 16, refuses to accept Jesus' prediction of his own death. And Jesus ends up calling him out, get behind me, Satan. Then they go to a high mountain for the transfiguration, and Peter is all agog, and he wants to build a temple, a booth, for Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you don't have it right yet, Peter. And finally, while Jesus is being tried by Pilate and others, Peter denies even knowing him. Yet, as the gift of faith continues to grow in Peter, Peter ultimately does build the church. In his first sermon, he converts 3,000. We can read about it in Acts. And his ministry grows from there until Peter himself finally suffers the same death as Jesus. So I suggest to you this morning that the answer to the question, who do you say that I am, is an answer that we continue to develop as we grow in our life of faith. It is not one way or the other. It is not right or wrong. There are many ways to understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, I do hope we all get past Ricky Bobby's Jesus in the Golden Diaper. Some of you remember Dick Breeden, who died in March at the age of 104. Dick continued to come to my Bible studies at Luther Village right up through February, until we had to stop meeting because of COVID. And Dick would tell me all the time how his faith was still growing and changing, how his understanding of Jesus was still growing and changing every day. 
And Dick witnessed to this with his regular attendance at education opportunities here at church, his regular attendance at my Bible studies, and his regular attendance in worship. My prayer for all of us is that our faith continues to grow deeper every day of our lives, that we have new ways of confessing Jesus, of understanding who Jesus is and who Jesus is calling us to be, that we will open our minds and our hearts to a broader understanding. Ultimately, it's not about having just the right words to describe Jesus in a traditionally orthodox or doctrinally correct manner. It is about understanding that when we confess who Jesus is for us, we also follow with a certain way of living and being in our world. As one theologian put it, our church, every church, might do well to spend less time insisting that others acknowledge Jesus with the right language and more time living into the example of Jesus, the one who gave himself without hesitation for the world he loves. May it be so for you and for me. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.